walk and pray through our call to worship today. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who struggle and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us continue to worship.
to grow a people from all people passionate for God that's why we're here that's the whole goal that's the vision so um, if this is your very first time and you are looking to figure out okay where everything is to get connected we do have hospitality team in the front to direct you bathrooms are in the back if you're in the building and whether you are online or in person we do have QR cards and if you scan those all of your dreams can come true and all the information that you would want to know. <laughs> um, we do have our newsletter, our apps, things that um, are both for in-gathering, so you can use that card both in-gathering and post-gathering to keep up with what's happening, and for us also to connect with you. We'd love to get your information to semi-stalk you, but not really. Um, <laughs> no, just to really further connect with you, we would love that. If you are here in the gathering, your family, and you have not taken advantage of that Version app, I invite you to do that. Um, it's a great resource for you to be able to know what's happening here and beyond. Please check it out. We have some great announcements coming up of what's happening in the life of our church. So um, at this time, we're going to transition to um, reading God's word together in preparation for what uh, we will hear later today in the sermon. We're in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. If you do not have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Again, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, but you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for an opportunity where we can come and worship you through prayer, through praise, through worship, and hearing of your word. Lord, we ask that you touch our hearts this morning, God, that we are open to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you move in a mighty way in the room. Father, we lift up Haiti and Afghanistan right now, Father. Lord, we know there are so many things happening. And here 
as we are here in America, we say thank you. We can't go there, and but we can pray. God, we just sung that there's power in your name. There's power in prayer. So God, we ask that you give us the heart's desire to pray. We pray for Haiti. God, we pray for those who are suffering because of the earthquake. Father, the ones who are still lost, God, we ask that you give them a supernatural peace and comfort. Father, that they will just hold on to hope and trusting in you. God, that you will help the people who are in the search and rescue team who are trying to find the ones who are lost still. Lord, we ask that you um, send provision, the ones who are in lack and need. Lord, they've lost their homes. They lost everything, Father. God, that they need fresh water. They need food. They need shelter. Lord, you are our provider, God. You said in your word that you will provide all of our needs. God, they are in need. They are standing in need. And so, God, we lift them up right now in the name of Jesus that you will touch, touch the hearts of the people who are willing to give. God, that they will give financially, that they will give the things that they have, Lord. And if they have nothing to give tangibly, Lord, they can give prayer. That is a tangible thing that we can do each and every day. Lord, Afghanistan, we lift up the people right now. God, the Christians, the brothers and sisters who are there, God, who are walking on eggshells in fear, Father, we ask that you touch their hearts, God. God, that they will continue to have hope and trust in you. God, that they know that you are sovereign. They will just trust in your will, Lord. God, the ones who are um, who are running, Lord, that you will just give them provision, that you will provide uh, the way out, Father. God, that the you will shut down the Taliban, Father. God, we pray for the governments of both nations, Lord. God, that you will have control over everything. Lord, we know that this doesn't take you by surprise, but even in your word, it tells us to pray for those who are in government, who have lead over us. So God, we pray for them right now. God, that you will touch their hearts. God, touch their hearts in the name of Jesus, Lord. God, that you will touch them as COVID-19 is running rampant, even in Afghanistan, the numbers are going up, Lord. Lord, we don't want to stand in fear. Lord, we shouldn't fear anything. And it says in your word that love drives out fear. So we thank you for your love, God. We thank you for your peace, God. We thank you for hope. And we thank you that we can trust in you, Lord. Lord, your word says trust in you with all our heart. And lead not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And God, you will direct our path. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for Holy Spirit who is going to be in this room today. Move like never before. We praise you and give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name. There is nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. Yeah. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Oh, Lord, your presence, Lord. Oh, we ask you, God. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. 
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone oh lord you
truth if that's what you need to do. Don't let the silence hold you back. Let it be space for you in this moment, before the title page, right now.
lips, we praise you, Jesus. Our hearts cry out to you. just that moment. Please keep us attentive. Draw us in. Keep us here. And as we worship you through the hearing of your word, may we not forget that it is you that is giving us life, strength, and everything we need. You are good, you are true. Good morning, stretch. Reach for the stars. Today, maybe, baby, you're an astronaut. No room for margin. My fears are starving. The saints still marching. I am the harvest. God got flowers for me. God got flowers for me. God got flowers in me that never met a face. Just rose in its shades. You can lay inside your faith. This kind never fades enough. I feel love surrounding me. And your spirit guiding me. Just breathe and pray. There's grace for the day. So I can show up. Show up for myself, show up for myself, and today I will show up for myself. I love, I mean, love, love. Am I on? I think I am. Uh, that song, yo, that, that has been, like, I mean, the last five weeks on sabbatical, that's been my, like, one of my go-tos, man. Um, just the Lord's been using it to refresh me. Like, I could feel my heart. Um, there it goes again, right? I'm beating. It's beating. I'm breathing in life again, man. And I just, I cannot express uh, the desire that I have for that experience to be felt by people in this room, in our church, um, right now, um, period. Those watching online, that, man, there was just, there would be just a tremendous overwhelming sense of revival in our lives. That if you are just at the edge of yourself, right, you're just like, man, God, I don't know what to do. Revival would flood your soul. And I just, I can't. I can't make it happen. I can't, but we could pray and we could pray and we could pray and we could pray and say, God, do what only you can. Be faithful, be true to your word, be true to your character in our lives. And so I, I believe God wants to renew and revive somebody today. And so don't miss your moment. I'm trying to be cute, all right? Uh, that'd be a waste. Uh, timer started. Uh,
Welcome to the Brooks Gathering. Uh, thank you for, th Trace, thank you for catching that too and then putting the green up in Jesus' name. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Muchi. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, honored that we could connect together in this moment for those who are joining us online in the middle of a global pandemic that just seems like it's Groundhog's Day, right? It's like, what is it? Is this 2021 or just 2020, all right? Um, but just that we could connect in this moment is just super meaningful. And so I just wanted to say thank you for giving of your time, giving of your space, both those who are part of our church and those um, who are not, just to say, man, this moment is meaningful. Let's encounter God. And that's what we hope will take place through his word as we've already encountered him through song and prayer. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and meet me in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be um, today. We have been journeying through the book of Colossians. I think it is helpful um, to give us an image that has really described the journey. Truth be told, probably should have started off uh, this series way back in April with this image, but it didn't come to me then, and so forgive me. But here is the image that I think is helpful to describe the journey that we've been on. Um, a journey that is winding down now, okay? And so we are, we are ending our journey through Colossians over the next uh, few weeks. But um, our journey through Colossians has kind of been like a, a journey on an airplane, okay? If you've never ridden an airplane, it's okay. I remember the first time I, I flew in an airplane. First of all, I feel like <laughs> the first time you fly in an airplane, everybody finds religion, you know what I mean? And so, like, I, I remember going in, um, and I have my headphones on. I have, like, you know, gum. I'm chewing it. I'm doing everything that I can to be focused. And I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I didn't grow up around Christianity like that. Um, but at this moment, man, I found religion strong. And so there was, like, this, like, rush of all of the Christian cliches. I don't even know where I got them from. But I was like... Man, God, I know that you protect us on the highways and the byways, so even if they're in the sky, you could do that too. And I'm, so I'm just rambling off randomness. I'm like, oh God, I'm confessing. God, I'm confessing sins of commission. I'm confessing sins of omission. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. It just came out of my mouth. I'm like, God, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread, and so God, keep me in this moment. And when that biscuit situation comes out, and I, it was just randomness, terrified. Because that, that's that initial, like, this, like, entryway into the sky where you're breaking all sorts of barriers and there's this, there's this movement that takes place. And then after that, you kind of settle into the flight, right? And then if you're by the, the window seat, you look outside and you see the scenery and it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same clouds, right? You know, and then after a while, depending on where you're flying, how long in your, you're in the sky, uh, what, what transpires is this, this voice comes, you know, and he says, we are getting ready to begin our initial descent. And then the scenery starts to change a little bit, and there's some stuff you got to do, like put your tray table up, like relax, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of been the journey through Colossians. There's this initial, like, like listen, God is putting this glorious identity and purpose in front of everybody. This is how Paul starts this book. And then you just start to kind of like work through Colossians and then it feels super repetitive. It's like, man, this is the same clouds over and over again. I've seen one cloud. I've seen a thousand. That's why some of us have even checked out. Holler at me when we're done with Colossians. Come on. <laughs> That's real talk. But even just, I think I pastorally, if I could say this, let's not be the people 
who diminish, disparage, or dismiss the frequency that the scriptures want to stir us to action through repetition. Like, it is consistent that they, 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 they move in this way that says, we want to stir you by way of reminder. And I just say that just honestly because after the last five weeks away, one of the things I feel like the Lord is pressing on my heart is how novelty is a narcotic. Always looking for something new leads us to this dangerous space where our, our soul becomes numb to what's beautiful, even if it's mundane. Novelty is a narcotic, nevertheless. And so there has been repetition, but now we're in this descent phase where we are landing um, our journey through Colossians. And in this landing, similarly, when you're in the air and it's like, now's the time to land, put your tray table up, et cetera, et cetera. There is a ton of explicit practical things that we are called to do. In fact, chapter three is all of that. That is Paul blitzing the Colossian church with all of these explicit calls to action. Go do, go do, go do, go do, go do, go do, go do. do. And they're meaningful. And while there's a ton of particulars within the calls to action, that's not today. Today, I don't want to deal with all of the particulars of the call to action that, that, you know, diamond red, don't slander, you know, don't have malice in your heart. I want to deal with all the particulars. Rather, I want to reframe how we understand the calls to actions holistically. I don't want to examine the parts, I want to deal with the whole and reframe it in a way that I hope would cause us to take them more seriously and then experience more fruit in a meaningful way when we actually do them. So I want to reframe how we see them by looking at them as a whole. And I think there's really a few things that will shape our time then. The first is there is this image or an idea that I I think is just birthed from this text, but it just sits on this text as well that produces tremendous freedom. You have this enveloping image that produces tremendous freedom. That's the first part of our time. The second part is, like, I do want to look at some aspects of this initial call to action, some aspects, and then how we act or respond in light of them. And then I'll close with a pastoral appeal for all of us, my heart included. And so that'll be the flow of our time. I think it's also the flow of the text where there is this enveloping image that we're just going to sit on top of this text that will free us all, deal with some aspects of this initial call to action, and then a pastoral appeal for all of us, um, self-included. Let's read it straight through and then go bit by bit. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, reads like this. But I just, I'm going to need to call. I'm like, you got to talk back to me today. Like, I got to feel like I'm back home. So you got to talk back. Just say that. Amen. That was one. I need like 25 in Jesus' name. All at the same time. A thousand. We could keep going. Praise God. Uh, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. It's like an old school Christian word. Covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Slander. 
to create a caricature of somebody to embellish so that you could weaponize information to harm somebody, slander, still a problem. An obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a blitz. It is a blitz. A blitz of calls to action. Put on, put off, put away, press into, go do, don't do. It's a blitz. He is laying in front of people this path in which they are called to walk thoughtfully, consistently, with integrity. Now, the, the call to action, I think, reflects this idea, grow into who God has already called you to be. Grow into the identity God says you already possess and you claim you actually have. He's talking to Christians. Grow into it, right? Grow into this identity. He is describing this process um, that is called, quote, unquote, sanctification. Sanctification, maybe some of you guys are familiar with it, maybe some of you aren't. It's a Christian idea, and it is the process of somebody, a Christian, becoming more Christ-like. It's the process of a Christian looking more like Jesus, sanctification. And that's the idea that just hovers over all of this. Grow into who God says you are, son, daughter of the most high king, Jesus. Look like him. Now, that, that call to action to grow into who God says you are, reflecting who Jesus is with integrity and accuracy, that's pretty daunting. If we actually pause and think about who Jesus is. Jesus, tender, truthful one. That's what's said of him. Tender. You see, he moves in a way that's, that's soft, that's caring, truthful. He doesn't sacrifice what's true to gain respect. He doesn't sacrifice what's true to preserve a relationship. Truthful, compassionate. He feels deeply internally when somebody is hurting. He's compassionate. Self-control. You know what self-control is? We know this. We know there's a difference between being able to do something versus should you do the thing. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And self-control is the wisdom and the discernment to not just understand the distinction between just because you can doesn't mean that you should, but it's knowing when to do what you should. Self-control, Jesus. Morally perfect. Thought life. No wayward thoughts. No wicked thoughts. Every thought was excellent and good all the time. 
Christ-like. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, you grow into that. That's daunting to just stare at the weight of who Jesus is and say, wait a second, you say be holy like I'm holy. You say be like, fam, come on. I know how I struggle with self-control. I know my thought life. And so, so what happens is it becomes so daunting, particularly for Christians, that we see this identity that God says we are and we're supposed to continue to grow into and progress in, and we're like, you know what, honestly, that's too tough, so I'm good. It seems worthwhile conceptually, but practically, it's not really worth my pursuit. So we don't. And then if you've been in this Christian thing for a long period of time, you've gotten cute. So this is what you'll say, man, God's just still working on me, fam. God's been working on the same issue for, come on. And so because it's daunting, we dismiss it. Or because it's daunting, we end up in this cycle of just frustration when the weight of our failure is constantly in front of us because we know we can't be perfect. But there's a freedom here. There's a freedom here. Not only is the idea that sits on this grow into the identity that God says you are, but there's another phrase associated with this that frees every single one of us. Repeat after me. You'll grow into it. We'll try that again. You'll grow into it. And if you're online, you could go ahead and type that into the chat area. You'll grow into it. It's a concept many of us are familiar with, right? And so if you're the middle child, yeah, you've heard that phrase before. Resonates with you, borderline traumatizing, you know what I'm saying? And it's a phrase, if you're, if you're a middle child and you had an older sibling who was the same gender, you've heard that phrase. Because when it was time to go shopping, you got left out. And what would happen would be your, your parents, especially if you were economically challenged or your parents were frugal, they, they would give you your older siblings' clothes, which were often too big. You're like, what, what is this? And they'd be like, don't worry. You'll grow into it. Come on, middle child. So all sorts of trauma. Now, if you're a parent, you know that phrase. Because August comes around, and it's back to school shopping, and you're like, man, yo, these kicks. So I could get them two shoes, or I could get shoes that are one or two sizes bigger, and come springtime, they'll grow into it. And then the old shoes become the outside shoes. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> and so... So the idea, the concept is, wait a second, like, there is something that you actually possess, it's yours, but you experience it progressively. You move into a fuller experience of what you already possess. And what sits on this is not merely grow into the identity that God says you are, what sits on this is the certainty that you'll grow into it because the work of looking more like Christ is God's work to complete. This is the entire scripture. 
This is Philippians 1.6. Read with me. Now unto him who's... No, that's Jude. You know, I'm excited. Let me just... Philippians 1.6. Now I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God started it, and he is going to finish it. Jude 1.24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You know I love that passage and the idea that it communicates. There is a God. First of all, right before it, it says, keep yourself in the most holy love. So it says, keep yourself. But it says, wait, wait a second. There's a God who's able to keep you. God will ensure that you make it to the finish line. But it's not merely like you make it to the finish line as you started. Look what he said. And he will present you before his presence blameless with great joy. You're going to be filled with something as you look a particular way. The work of looking more like Christ is God's work to complete. John 17, Jesus approaching the cross, suffering and death, staring at him, and he begins to pray, and the prayer is elaborate. It is filled with meaningful request and pause. One of the things that just rocks me about this prayer is that Jesus, in the face of certain pain, suffering, and death, is not preoccupied with personal comfort. He is preoccupied with the good of other people. And I am so tired, pastorally, personally, as a Christian, this side of the globe, looking at other Christians who are so preoccupied with personal comfort in the middle of a global pandemic. And I'm like, come on, what are we doing? I don't mean that to be aggressive, I don't mean that to yell, but I'm just like, man, it is antithetical to our identity. Jesus staring at the face of death, surrounded by betrayers and suffering, is preoccupied with other people's good, and it is expressed in this prayer, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, make them more like the sons and daughters that they are. He says, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The work of looking more like Christ is God's work to complete. And if that's true, then you'll grow into it. And that's freeing. That's freeing. Because you may not feel it right now. You, you feel the weight of these habits that are hindering life. You feel the weight of the addiction that seems to define you. You feel the weight of not having rich affections for Jesus. You feel the weight of blah in your soul. You feel the bondage. And it seems like how it is now, it's how it's always going to be, but you'll grow into it. If we get that, there's freedom. 
to be experienced. Furthermore, what I like about this, it is with that confidence, the confidence that you'll grow into it, that Paul actually does call us to action. He challenges us to be responsible and thoughtful and actively grow into who God already says we are. Thus, the initial action put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Let's look at some of the aspects of it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it away. But this, this idea, again, it, put, it, put it away is, is more than just stop doing bad things. Put it away is more than stop being a trash person. Although, let me tell you something, that's not a bad baseline for some of us, all right? To stop doing trash things and stop being a trash. But God has a more excellent view for us, a more excellent vision of the identity. Again, put it away, it's pressed into who God calls you to be. Just put it away, communicates decisive action as well as a new way of relating to particular things. Sin. To, to relate to sin appropriately. To relate to sin as a thing that doesn't push us further into joy or pleasure, but it actually pulls us away from it. Put it all away. Embedded in that phrase, that initial call to action, is reason and desire birthed from the heart of God. Some of that reason and desire is explicit. Some of it is, is more implicit. But the reason is twofold. Read with me. Verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That may cause some of us to cringe. We'll take it bit by bit. Then you get down to verse 9 and 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Both of those serve as reasoning for this initial call to action, put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you. And he starts to list out various expressions of it. Let's take the wrath of God. The wrath of God is often used as this, like, boogeyman to motivate people to particular action. It's like this amorphous, Christian version of Voldemort. It's like Voldemort-esque. Like, so we, don't, we don't want to talk about it, but we feel like it's there, and it's used to motivate people to particular action. I have found that the wrath of God is often misdefined and regularly weaponized. It's misdefined, and it is regularly weaponized where people are harmed by something that God would intend to cause us to worship, to cause us to even experience a type of rest, which may seem conflicting. Wrath leading to rest? That's crazy. But let's start to define it. When we summarize the wrath of God through the Scriptures, a summary definition we get is this. The wrath of God is God's wrath is God's wrath, excuse me, is punitive action taken towards all forms of wickedness. God's wrath is punitive action taken towards all forms 
of wickedness. It is the response of holiness, which is beautiful, perfect, and altogether unique and different, breaking out against that which is corrosive, that which is wicked, all forms of it. Now, closely associated with this idea of wrath is this experience of anger. Now, anger, an experience in anger, isn't something that's uncommon to us. It's tied to the human experience. Unfortunately, what is common about our experience of anger and our expressions of anger is it shows up as rage. Now, so yesterday, so this is fresh on my mind. Yesterday, I was in a car. I was heading to a particular place, um, and I, <laughs> I saw this lady. She got caught off by this gentleman, although that may not be the best title for this guy who did this. And so she's right behind him in this dope Nissan Rogue. And I can read lips. This is what happens when you become a parent. You just develop all sorts of crazy skills, all right? And so, so I'm right next to her, and I'm just reading, and she cussed him out in like three different languages. <laughs> English, Spanish, I'm like, that seems like Portuguese. And she just went in. There was a fourth language that she had, too. It's a language that we're all familiar with in Miami. It's the language of the car horn, right? Communicates. And so we know a car horn communicate. You do a gentle tap. That's, man, it's a green light. Dude, please move, right? Or you could hit him with the successive taps. And we know what that is. That's syllables. Or you can hit him with that, that long extended one, you know what I mean? You, yeah, you just communicate the level of exhaustion. I want you to feel what I feel, annoyed and tired. Put it all away. Y'all laugh, put it all away. If that's you, we don't need that. Put it all away, right? But that's, that's rage. That is, that is anger expressed as rage. Anger is a neutral emotion. All it does is it reveals what we are passionate about, what we feel, what we care about. And in that context, most of us, we care about our time being honored. We care about being respected. And when we feel like you're dishonoring our time or we feel like you are disrespecting us by not paying attention to the changing colors on the light, rage. I love how one writer, author, theologian, Tim Keller puts it though, he, he says this about anger. Anger is love in motion to deal with a threat to someone or something we truly care about. He's right. And we would expect that to be present in our hearts when something is happening to someone that we truly care about and that something that's happening is wrong. You walk into a store and somebody you know is getting abused, you aren't numb to that. You feel. You feel. And prayerfully, you don't just grab the popcorn like, man, this is going to be a great show. You intervene. You respond. If we would feel that deeply, how much more for the God who is perfect and holy? who actually does love and care. 
And he sees people being abused first and foremost by sin. Everybody everywhere is first a victim of sin. So he sees people being abused by this true reality of sin. And then he sees people moving just from victims to violators, now abusing other people, taking advantage of other people that were made in this image that he cares about. How much more would he feel? And so his wrath is this expression of love for that which is true, beautiful, and noble, and good, and justice to deal with that which is broken. That is how the wrath of God is defined. Now, here's how it is expressed. One, it's often expressed or applied in people experiencing the natural consequences of certain actions. I like tea and coffee. By the way, you know good coffee is actually not supposed to be piping hot. Let me just go ahead and put that in your spirit. You are welcome. You're supposed to be able to, you're supposed to, be able to taste the stuff in there. Same with tea. Nevertheless, I know that after I like boil my tea, I brew my tea, like I need about two minutes and 45 seconds before I can sip my tea. Or the top of my mouth is going to get burned, and nobody likes that because you taste that for the rest of the day. And then it's like the roof of your mouth starts peeling, super uncomfortable. But if I drink my tea while it's piping hot, the natural consequence, you tracking with me? What God says is there's some natural consequences people are experiencing, and that is an expression of his wrath. It is scattered all throughout the scriptures, but one passage is powerful, Exodus 15:7. So Exodus 15:7 is an interpretation of what was going on in the Passover narrative. If you're familiar with the story, God sends Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And over 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 again, Moses has to repeat himself because Pharaoh says no. And then Pharaoh starts to add more wickedness on top of his no, oppressing them all the more. An expression of his rage, being consumed by it, rage overtaking him. And Exodus 15 says this, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out fury, it consumes them like stubble. They experience the consequences of their rage. That's not karma, that's the Bible. The wrath of God is experienced or expressed not just in a natural consequences of certain actions, but it's experienced or expressed with God saying, have it your way. So this is Romans 1, 18 through 19, 24, 26, and 28. Romans 1, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What he's saying is, you walk into this room and you're like, there had to be some builder that put together all these chairs. You are born and you look at your body, you're like, wait a second, there has to be a designer that put my life together. He's like, it's, it's known, but it's suppressed. It's the difference between ignorance and ignoring. But then, then he goes on, he says, in light of that, verse 24, therefore God gave them up 
Verse 26, therefore, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. God said, have it your way. That sometimes it's not just the natural consequences of certain actions. It's God actually saying, okay, have it your way. But that's not vindictive. That's what we do. Cool. Have it your way then. That's, that's not how God operates. This is why Luke 15 is in the Bible. And with Luke 15, you have this passage where there's this father with two sons, and one of the sons goes up to the father who gave him life, who cares for him deeply, and he says, give me my inheritance, which would translate into that time, I wish you were dead so that I could have the money that I would get when you die. I don't really want you. I want what you have to offer. Give me my inheritance. And, and the father stares at his man. Oh, man, if Noah. The father stares at him and shuts his heart full of grief. Because, by the way, that's God's first response to wickedness. This is Genesis says that the world is full of wickedness and evil intent and murder, and it's sorrow in his heart. And so God's grieved by this word that's being spoken to him, and he says, have it your way. Not being vindictive, but full of hope and belief that if you experience what you're after apart from me, which is not really what you want, maybe it will draw you back. So the root of it isn't vindictiveness, it's care. Have it your way. Sometimes the wrath of God is expressed also as a direct response to real-time acts. I love the Bible because it's filled with stories, and I'm like, this would make a great movie. 1 Kings 21 is one of those. 1 Kings 21, story is crazy, yo. So like... You have the story of Ahab, Jezebel, and Naboth. And so Naboth has this, this vineyard, and Ahab is the king at the time. He wants the vineyard, so he goes to Naboth, and he's like, yo, let me buy this vineyard for you. And Naboth's like, I don't want to sell this vineyard. This is like lineage for me. This is my father's vineyard. This is my vineyard. I'm going to pass it on to my children. I'm not going to sell it. King goes back sad. His wife, Jezebel, sees him sad. King, hey, what's wrong? Naboth doesn't want to sell me this vineyard. He doesn't want to sell. Do you, does he know who he's talking? You're the king. You don't ask. You take. Hey, don't even worry about it. I got you. Wash your hands with it. She goes, finds two guys, says, hey, here's what we're going to do. You go set up this dinner with Naboth, and during dinner, here's what I want you to do. Make an accusation. Say that you heard him cursing God and cursing the king, and they're going to take him out back, and they're going to stone him. He's going to die. They do it. Set up the dinner. During the middle of the dinner, they do the thing. He was cursing God. He was cursing the king. They take him out back. He gets stoned. He dies. Now Ahab is able to get the vineyard. That sounds like gentrification, by the way, in case anybody wants to know. So he gets the vineyard. That was a shot. Feel all of that. He gets the vineyard. God sends Elijah. He's like, verse 19, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession wickedly? 
And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. A direct response to a certain action is also the wrath of God. But notice this, because this shows up all throughout the scriptures. It's often acts that are wicked and oppressive. And God steps in and says, no. That's the wrath of God. It's Genesis 4.10. The Lord said, maybe you're familiar with this statement, this situation, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his younger brother. And God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and it is crying justice. Make this right. But that's not how we talk about the wrath of God. We weaponize it. We use it as a scare tactic to move people into relationship. We talk about it disproportionately to the full character of the God of the universe. And thus, we separate it from his love and his holiness and his justice. That's not how God talks about it, and it shouldn't be how we talk about it. God is going to introduce himself in a unique way to Moses, Exodus 34. And when you introduce yourself, what you say matters. And the sequence often matters. That's why some of us are like, yo, my name is Muchi. I've been married for X amount of years. I have three kids, because that matters to me. Some of us are like, man, I, we just start listing off all of our credentials, often because of insecurity or whatever, but we do that. We list off what matters, and then you see God in Exodus 34. This is what he does. He says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do we notice what he did there? He said, the Lord, I am the God of the universe, the God who truly is, and what you need to know about me at my very core is love, mercy, and forgiveness that I desire relationship. And so I am willing to go the extra mile. That slow to anger is I'm patient. I'm patient. Thousand times I'll forgive. See the math there? He says, it's a thousand, but I'm not gonna blink at that which is broken. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist. I won't be bribed to turn a blind eye. I will stare at the face of wickedness and injustice, and I will act justly at my time, because I am wise, even to the third and fourth generation. But we're supposed to see the math there. I have a thousand more mercy to give than judgment to dispense. A thousand to three slash four. This is why Hebrews 12 is powerful. It says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood. Avenge me. Avenge me. Avenge me. And Jesus says, mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Instead of pouring out just responses and actions towards these people that are unjustly crucifying me, give them mercy. Proportionately, what we're meant to understand is that God is always, always moving in a way where we see mercy triumphs over judgment. Thus, the wrath of God is not meant to be weaponized to scare us into relationship. It's meant to identify so we can see the full picture of who God is and appreciate the beauty of mercy. When we scare people into relationship, we sabotage intimacy and create the soil for trauma and abuse. Resist weaponizing the wrath of God against others or on yourself. On yourself. God stares at you with kind eyes, tender and gentle. Move to close. It's not the only response given or the reason, excuse me. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, it's pretty straightforward. He says, put this away because of the person you claim to be. But what's embedded in there is kindness. Eliminate hypocrisy from your life. It's kindness. Because you know, I know, we are fully aware that hypocrisy is an easy habit to form and a difficult one to break. And it hinders life. And the more hypocritical we become, the harder it is to change. And God is like, let me get you on the front end before the excuses settle in and you give reasons for why you can't or why you shouldn't instead of leaning into the reasons that I give you to actually do it. All reasons that I give you revolve around life. This is Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates on it day and night. What oozes from all of this reasoning is that God desires life for people. Whenever we see cause to flee or fight against sin in our lives, it's because God desires something better for our lives. It is not the God who withholds as if he's vindictive or wicked. It is the God who directs our attention to something infinitely better. And he uses that as motivation to act, not fear or scare tactics. Pastoral appeal. Freedom is possible and worth the pursuit. 
if we'll grow into it, it doesn't matter where you are now and how you see yourself, there is a type of freedom that could blow you away. It's possible, and it's worth the pursuit. It is worth pain. And unfortunately, here's what I know about you, here's what I know about me, here's what I know about humanity. It is often the case that until the pain of making a change, until you feel it, to that, that pain where you know, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me something, until the pain of making a change is greater than the pain of staying the same, we will never change. We would just sit in what's comfortable and what's easy, but it's worth the pursuit and the appeal specifically to Christians in light of that is, hey, you have a former life. You have a former life, man. That's what he was describing. Once walked, not presently, you have a former life. That also means you have a new life filled with experiences and possibilities and potential, walk in it. And to those who aren't Christian, you can have a former life. You can have a former life, man. And you're like, no, I like my life. It's cool. It's easy. No clue what God wants for you. There's so much more. Furthermore, there is the wrath of God that hovers on it. And even if we don't have the natural consequences now, we will have the natural consequences eventually. And the consequences for resisting God is God saying, okay, have it your way. Which means eternity without me. But God pursues, he pursues, he pursues, and maybe he's pressing and pursuing you right now. And to you, I say, you can have a former life and a new one that's filled with hope and love and joy and a type of experience that really can't be put in words. It can only be experienced. For all of us, we can consistently encounter the God who is as he is. And as he is, it's pretty amazing. To that end, let's pray. Father, um, I'm grateful, we are grateful that when you call us to flee or fight against sin, it's because you have something better for us. We are grateful that the work in front of us rest on you it's grace and we're not just grateful we're confident that we'll grow into it <laughs> we'll grow into it but father i just pray that that confidence will produce a level of seriousness which will invite more meaningful experiences in our life here and now as we do grow into the life to come. So free us. <laughs> Please. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mucci, for such a powerful message. 
And such a humbling message is that. I can tell you, I know how it feels to have the weight of the world, the pressures of this world. And it's refreshing. Thank you for that reminder that it's God that's going to see us to completion. My name is Pastor Chip, or Chip, and I am one of the pastors here at The Brook. And today we've reached a time in our service where we have an opportunity to respond and engage. And there's a couple ways that we do this. Uh, the first way we do this is through offering. And there's a couple ways that you can give at The Brook. And one of the ways you can do that is here, if you look up on the screen, or over here, you'll see you can text a dollar amount to 84321. Again, that's 84321. You can also give through the Uversion app if you've been following along on your phone. And you can also go to the Brook, thebrook.org, or thebrook.com. It was up here just a second ago, and you can give that way as well. And there's another way you can give as you guys come down for communion. You can notice there's a box below me here. If you want to, you can just drop your offering in. And I know a lot of times we hear about offering, and sometimes like me, it's like, man, the church is coming from my pockets once again. But I truly believe that everything that we have is given to us by God. So when we give at the brook, it is an act of worship. And when we give at, at the brook, it's a way for us to come together as a family to partner to help advance the gospel of God. Another way we respond and engage is through communion. And the thing about communion, I know at times we see it, it looks kind of different, like man, they're, they're breaking bread, they're, doing, they're, they're drinking wine, what does this mean? Especially if this is your first time seeing it. But we take communion to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And on the day that he was set to be betrayed, he sat down with some of his closest friends and he had a meal with them. And during this meal, he broke the bread. And as he broke his bread, he said, this is my body. He gave thanks, said, this is my body. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And they were probably like, man, what's he talking about? But Jesus had said some things before that they didn't fully understand. But they had a meal. And then after this meal, he pulled out a cup and he said, this cup is a covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you guys come together, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you break this bread, every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And then later, he was arrested and then he was eventually killed. And it sounds like if you hear it for the first time, like, man, that's, that's a sad story. But the story doesn't end there. Three days later, he rose. And not, not as a ghost walking through walls, he rose as a full person in physical form. And so today, when we do this, we remember that Jesus, the one that had the power to not let death keep him down, but to rise up. So as you come up to take communion, if you're a believer today, you come up to take communion. I want you guys to come up. If you're coming up from this way, we're gonna come down right here and someone will be here holding this for you and if you're here today and you're like man I don't know about this communion thing but I do want to know more about this Jesus I invite you just during this time when you see everyone getting up 
just sit down in your seat and pray. Whatever words come to your mind, and you can even do this, say, Lord, give me the words because I don't know what to say right now. And then when it's all said and done, I'll be right here. You can come down and talk to me, and I'll be glad to share with you about this amazing Savior that we worship. So in just a little while, I'm going to pray. And then after I'm done praying, the music will continue to play, and you guys can come down. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to remember you. Because we know not everyone has this opportunity. We ask that you prepare our hearts as we make our way down here, Lord. Because this is such a vulnerable and intimate time with you. We also pray for those who do not know you right now but who want to know you, Lord. I pray that you put that heart in their, or that word in their heart. I hope that you give them the strength and the courage to come down and talk because what they're feeling right now is you telling them to come. Father, I thank you. And I pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may come down.
Amen. So before we leave today, our benediction is based on Hebrews 13. It says, and now may the God of peace, who brought back again from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, all that is pleasing to him. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. You are dismissed. God bless anything tested. No, no, Jesus Christ. No, no, time. No, all the muscle and all the crew. Remember, so the end them know for Jesus Christ. Lift them high. And not here for Christ. Bust the place. Bust the place. No, no, no. Mercy. Yeah. This song right here is dedicated to all my people that felt like giving up and you didn't think you were going to make it. Bless them all the time. Check it out, y'all. And not here. Go. Get up! Yeah! Get up! Get up! Oh.